0: We got, let's pray. Lord, we pray for your blessings and uh, just speak to us through your word. We so want to hear your word, hear you declare your word to us so that it may go into our hearts and not return empty. May do something that no human being can do, change our hearts and change our lives. Change this city for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this passage is about alcohol. I know you have good foundation and teaching on alcohol. So, But this, he, he summarized it really well. So
1: we'll, we'll see this video if
0: the audio works.
1: Hey guys, Jeff here. Welcome to another Monday message now today's question is is alcohol a sin now short answer is no So pack it up. We're done. We can go home shortest video. I've ever made list. That's it I'm done recording the video. It was quick. We're good No, for reals though the scriptures all of them in their entirety say nothing about alcohol being inherently a sin And so we have to start there because it's more of a wisdom and a nuanced issue than a lot of times we like to make it out to be and please don't be one of those people That basically says their alcohol back then was not the same alcohol as today To say that, you really have to bend the scripture so much, you're practically making origami. Okay, so if the scriptures say that it inherently is not evil or a sin, well, then what is it? And I think the alcohol issue is actually a microcosm of kind of how we should see all of life as followers of Jesus. See, the scriptures actually say that it's a gift from God, it makes life enjoyable, it can make your heart merry. Psalm 104, Ecclesiastes 3, Ecclesiastes 9, Jesus obviously drank wine throughout his ministry, it's instituted in the Last Supper, his first miracle was turning water into wine. And so then the question is, okay, well, what is scripture saying when it mentions alcohol? Now like I said, it's a microcosm because I think it's just like everything else, whether it's sexuality or money or all these different things, meaning it's not inherently evil, but the abuse of it is. See, we like to make God to kind of be the stingy kind of person in the sky who just wants to throw a lightning bolt down on our parade, when in fact, he's a good and gracious father who has given us plenty of gifts in his creation to be enjoyed, and we can either steward those and use them in their context, how they're supposed to be used, and then give. Thanks and praise to him because of how good he is, or we can say, No, thanks, I don't want you, I just want your stuff, and then actually use and abuse those things in a way that is damaging and hurtful and not good. And alcohol is just like that. So while it might say that alcohol is not a sin, we also understand that getting drunk is. There's many verses in scripture that say that kind of getting drunk is a sin, meaning, and when I say sin, I really mean it doesn't lead to human flourishing. It's not the way God lined up the world to work, and it's not what can give you the most joy. And so drinking to the point where you can't really walk around, you can't hold a conversation, you're not coherent, that can really lead to a lot of bad things and it's really unhealthy for your heart and for life and for flourishing. It's kind of like a a cheap pleasure. Like I mentioned in one of my videos a couple weeks ago, it's kind of like the kiddie pool when God's offering us the deep end of the pool. And so it's why would we settle for that when God wants to give us something so much more? But again, on the flip side, I know a good bottle of wine, a good meal, sitting around the table with friends, there's something sacred and beautiful about that. And so ultimately we see there's kind of these two roads. We can use it or we can abuse it. And one's right and one's wrong so it's not inherently evil but it's which way or which road will we go down now getting back to the nuance type stuff that I I mentioned earlier this is where it gets really important see we really like to make these things black and white and we a lot of times like to make them about our rights where we like to look at these answers and find the answers we can say this is for my pleasure my satisfaction I can do what I want because I have Christian freedom the problem with Christian freedom is if you have to flaunt it and kind of fight for your rights then it probably shows you misunderstood it in the first place See, because the truth of the matter is if you're a follower of Jesus you get up your rights 2,000 years ago, right? I mean, Jesus did that himself. Jesus could have been the person that stood on his throne, stayed on his throne and said, this is how it's going to be. This is what I want. This is what I like. I'm not going to, I'm going to do everything in regards to putting me at the center. But no, no, he gave up his rights, came down, died for us and offered his life as a sacrifice. And so then we have to wrestle with the fact, okay, that yes, there's parts in the New Testament where it says, do not let people steal your freedom. There will be people who will try to search it out and try to put a legalistic burden on you. But what I think it's even more important in today's culture is what we see in Romans 14 That we are a community called to each other and kind of this leaning in of mutuality and how we can serve one another And that means there's some people on this earth who struggle with alcohol addiction You might know someone in your family. It might be you. It might be in your past I know plenty of people that I've talked to in my life who struggle with that and that's not the only addiction We all have a plenty of addictions and kind of proclivities and inclinations of the heart And so then yes while being able to have a beer or a glass of wine or a drink might not be a sin Well what we have to wrestle with then is there could be a context. Context where it totally could be. Because all of our freedom should be in mutuality to each other and about how we can serve each other in love. And so if you know you have a Christian brother or sister who even hears the clink of the glass at the table and their heart shudders and starts to kind of awaken in them those desires and those temptations that they're trying and fighting so hard to get away from, then that is a disservice to your brother to do that, right? To flaunt your Christian freedom or to do that even in an in a ignorant way. You should understand and see how can I use my life as a service to my brother? brothers and sisters and that's one nuance in this conversation I don't think we talk about that how do we serve each other with this issue and if there is someone in your life or in your context where that is true then I would say man it is a sin to enjoy that gift it is a sin to say well I don't care about them I just care about me and so I hope that answer was helpful to those asking it out there and again the hard part is a lot of times we don't like this answer because it's full of nuance it's full of gray it's not black and white when in reality it really is about remember the use and the abuse not an inherent evil which is just like sexuality just like money just like power all these different things. It's about how we engage them as image bearers and followers of Jesus, and how will we serve our brothers and sisters in those things. Okay,
0: thought it was a good summary of a lot of Christian teaching. Use may not be sin, but abuse is, and abuse of freedom to hinder other people is definitely a, uh, can be sin. And I'm a little bit. Towards you know within the range of it's okay in Christian I'm a little bit more towards abstinence side so that we can edify and for purpose of mission uh, and because there Hindus and Muslims and you know uh, uh, Hindus and Muslims who what's the other major religion Hindu Muslim Buddhists yes they uh, they are all negative towards alcohol so and we in this social media age they can see the perception of Christianity through that. So I'm a little bit more on, on that side. But uh, I think it's a good summary of uh, our view on alcohol, alcohol because reason why I want to talk about that in this passage is... Uh, People use this passage to justify uh, their usage, usage of alcohol. So I always have to talk about that before we do it. But uh, according to the context of the culture in the first century, uh, in biblical culture, wine, especially from the Old Testament, uh, really represents uh, celebration of the joy that's coming in Jesus Christ. So we need to understand that aspect and as, as we go into this passage. So we'll talk about uh, uh, Christians' joy. What is that? Adjective? Enduring, enduring, in- change to enduring joy. Uh, Christians enduring joy, right? Uh, four things here. First of all, the source of our joy. Secondly, the meaning of our joy. And thirdly, the nature of our joy. And the fourthly, the ministry of our joy. Hopefully, it's it will explain so many things that's going on in our lives. Why do we have joy? Why don't we have joy? Why don't we feel like? We don't have joy, and we are supposed to have joy. We are supposed to rejoice in Christ, but it's difficult to at times, and especially when things do not go well circumstantially. And how how are we supposed to make sense out of that and still have joy in the midst of our misery? So uh, we'll talk about all that. Hopefully, it'll explain all those things through this passage. So, uh, source, meaning, nature, and ministry of our joy. First of all, the source. Of our joy. Simply, as we, we can all expect, Christians' joy is Jesus. In this context, the groom. Wedding. Jesus is the source of our joy. Jesus is our joy. Uh, on the third day, there was a wedding. Right? As we look into this context, it seems like you know, Mary has a prominent role in this wedding. Right? Uh, on the third day there was a wedding, Cana in Galilee, mother of Jesus Mary was there and Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. So probably uh, someone close to the family of Jesus Mary was concerned and becomes worried and servants come and talk to Mary. Right? So she probably had some kind of prominent role in the wedding, and uh, it's important to understand the idea of wedding feast in Jewish culture. The feast, had, feast lasted three to seven days, sometimes two weeks. So, I guess they really knew how to have party. Uh, during the wedding, people, the whole uh, people from whole region would come. There was no fast trans- transportation at that time, so when they had a wedding, <laughs> you plan it and have it have it for a long time so people can go in and out to allow people to travel. So also in Western culture, wedding is very bride-oriented, right? Husband is like a necessary evil. I guess they're just there (laughs) hanging out. Uh, They come in and nobody noticed them. But when the bride comes, everything stops, music changes, everybody stands up, and then everybody looks at the bride. Uh, When he walks in, it's just didn't even know he walked in or something like that. Uh, but uh, in, the, in the East, Eastern culture, West, wedding uh, was very groom-oriented. The husband is the one who comes, comes and everyone, including the bride, waits for him. Also, the husband paid everything, paid for everything. This is such an important occasion that if the groom gave the wrong kinds of gift, he could be sued. <laughs> if the wine ran out, so this is very important, wine ran out, he could be sued. Legal action could take place. If you're sued, there would be a permanent embarrassment on you for the rest of your life. If someone is walking down the street and pass by your house, they'll say things like, Oh, that's the house that wine ran out in the wedding. (laughs) So you don't want that kind of reputation during that time. So it was important. This was an uh, important thing that wine ran out in this wedding. Now, why was wine so important in that culture? Well, in the Jewish culture, the wedding was just a picture of the wedding. Feast of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the groom and he will return. And everyone is focused on Jesus Christ, just like the Jewish wedding. And Jesus Christ is the husband and the bride is the people of Jesus Christ waiting for Christ to come. So wine in their culture was, uh, was not for drunkenness, but for joy. Joy of the return of Jesus Christ. That's why even in the Old Testament, Notice, if you that you know that verse, the man will leave his father and mother. Who leaves? The man would leave his father and mother. Jesus Christ would leave his father to come to this earth, right? To represent, or to die for his bride, to, for us, so that we can be the bride of Christ as a, as a church of Jesus Christ. Now, why is this first miracle, this is the first miracle in uh, in the gospel, and Jesus, first miracle Jesus performed. Why is the first miracle in, in his public ministry? He's starting this, his public ministry after about 30 years of life, and three and a half years, he's going to do public ministries. He's going to die and resurrect and ascend to heaven. Now, uh, why is this first miracle this? I believe he's declaring the nature of his whole ministry. During those days, it's the gro- groom that provides the wine. So who provides the wine in this wedding? Jesus, right? the groom. Jesus provides the wine. So he starts his public ministry for three years. He's saying, the groom is here to the bride of Jesus Christ. For all the brides who are seeking for true joy, the groom is here. He's saying, I am the one you've been looking for. Right? Jesus is going to give uh, joy to his bride. When the wine runs out of the party of life, we have the groom who is going to provide true joy for us. Jesus is the Lord of the feast and the life of Christian's party, enduring joy. Uh, Jesus provides the wine. Jesus provides the joy. But the wine is not the goal of celebration, of course. Joy should never be the goal of Christian life either. In the Old Testament, wine represented a great joy and celebration. We can see some of these verses. Uh, What, Psalm 104, verse 15. The wine glad, gladdens the heart of man. Oil makes his face shine. Bread to strengthen man's heart. Isaiah 55, uh, verse 1. Is that verse 11, verse 1? Huh, okay. Come everyone, okay. I don't know if it's 1 or 11. Oh, Okay, anyway. It's the right content. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And who who has no money, come and buy and eat and come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Here's a problem for many people. Any party without Jesus will run into trouble because wine will run out. Without Jesus, joy runs out. The world's joy is temporary, circumstantial. And the wine of the world runs out, the party of life becomes joyless. So it really depends on what the source of joy is in life. Whatever your joy is, whether it's money, special person, health, work, family, problemless life. If your joy is in these things, it will run out. So what is the source of your joy? If your source of joy is Jesus, even when everything runs out, you'll still have Jesus can turn the water into wine. So Jesus, basically in this point, Jesus is the source of our joy. Jesus is our joy. Now how does he give us our joy, which is the second point, the meaning of our joy. Christian joy is not water joy, but wine joy. And we're going to see from this passage, uh, first of all, you know, verse, you know, how does groom provide the joy for the bride? How how do we attain this joy uh, as Christian? One thing you have to realize: mess, Messianic ministry just started. That's that's the you know so, something we see. The it says the first of his signs. Right? He did at Canaan in Galilee and manifested his glory, right? and his disciple believed in him. There's a lot of Faith nuance in this Even in this verse Right. So verse 11 says The first miracle A sign that Jesus performed So his, his miracles Especially in the perspective of John Is a sign That means he does something And it's pointing forward to something It's like an arrow On the street right? Sign Pointing forward to something Just like the sign When it, there's a sign Well that's not what he's talking about But it's talking about something that is coming so a sign is a purpose for miracle that pictures something. Right? And that's going to manifest His glory that we can put our faith in Him. So verse 4, it says, And Jesus said to a woman, like, Jesus says, a woman, what does this have to do with me? So servants come to Mary. Mary says, well, go ask Jesus and do everything He tells you. And He she tells, she talks to Jesus, and then verse, verse 4, he says, Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My, my hour has not yet come. Now, uh, the woman there sounds like in English is kind of rude, right? Wow, she just is rude, right? No, no a dear woman is used uh, to call his mother, and it sounds rude, but in Jewish culture, it's a very respectful way of uh, addressing a woman. It's important that Jesus did not call her mother at this moment but a woman because he's starting his public ministry now jesus has different role different relationship with his mother because public ministry just started now he's the messiah right so he's living according to the time clock of god and the ministry started and now he's addressing her as a respectfully as a a woman He's living according to a time clock of God, because that's what he's saying. My hour has not yet come. Because when he starts to manifest this miraculous power, you know, the authorities will not like him. In fact, the reason why Jesus starts to, uh, they start to plot to kill him was in John 11, uh, you know, when Lazarus resurrects, they go, they started to, you know, really try to kill him because of their threat to their authority, right? So he's saying, well, my time has not come. I cannot really manifest this uh, at this moment, right? But he does, he's saying that his public ministry has started. Right? Jesus is on the time clock of God. Jesus is saying, it's not time for me, me to declare my name and be killed. That's for later, but mes- my messianic public ministry has started. So this has to do with just, you know, some nature of his ministry, Now, now what was his ministry? Now, there were six stone water jars there for Jewish rites of publication, each uh, purification, each holding 20 and 30 gallons. Now, what is the ceremonial cleansing water and stone jars used here? I mean, why is the ceremonial cleansing water and stone jars used here? In the the Old Testament, ceremonial water was used to symbolize cleansing of sins. Of course, we know this. And Jesus is saying through this miracle, he starts his public ministry. And the Old old Testament ceremonial washing to cleanse, using water here, is going to be changed. Nature of his ministry changed to New Testament washing of cleansing sins. The ministry of water is going to be changed to ministry of wine. That's what he's saying. What Old Testament has been pointing forward to. God will replace Old Testament system with the New Testament system through Jesus Christ. Ministry of Christ is to give joy through cleansing of our sins. So Old Testament cleansing was outside washing, hands, water. New Testament cleansing is inside drinking. Old Testament system... Brought ceremonial cleansing new testament system brings spiritual cleansing old testament system kill germs right new testament system kills sins old testament system was through the water and animals blood only can point forward to something real that's coming in new testament system new testament system is through the blood of the son of god cleansing of sinful nature leads to joy of spiritual nature inside of our hearts. Jesus' ministry is the declaration of joy through cleansing. True spirit's nature joy comes only after cleansing of sin. That's why Jesus is a source of our joy by his death and resurrection, cleansing our our sins uh, which will be replaced through his public ministry. So we appropriate this through drinking of The blood of Christ, spirit of Christ inside of our hearts. New covenant relationship inside of our hearts. So meaning of our joy comes through repentance of sins, cleansing of sin, and restore relationship with God, repentance and faith. So that's what this means. This miracle means. Let's go to the third which is the nature of our joy. Very helpful. It's now a little more practical, a little more, first two points were a little more uh, theological. Now, the nature of our joy. First, uh, four, is it four? Yeah, four characteristics there, nature of our joy, four. First of all, Jesus' joy is costly joy. Uh, By the way, uh, uh, before we explain this we have to uh, talk about our hearts right? what is what is joy what is feeling what is emotion you have to think about all that uh, by the way uh, my dissertation was on uh, hearts of people and uh, I you know have this uh, ex Counseling system that we develop That incorporated our church called Heart Motives I don't know if you're aware of that Some of you I know are, are aware of that and uh, If you listen to some of those things It'll really explain uh, Your heart So, By the way, a little plug in there But why? Uh, what is our joy like? We can have two kinds of joy Two kinds of joy One that comes from our sin nature And another comes from our spirit's nature Spiritual nature so when we are born, we are born with Adam's DNA. Sinful desire, sinful nature, total depravity, that's what it means. We have selfish nature, selfish desires. Nature expresses itself, itself through desires. Okay. So we only have sinful desires, sinful nature, because motive of everything we do is for ourselves, for our own glory. We are selfish. That's the pr- reason for all of our problems. That's the reason for your, you fought every day of your life with your sibling. I don't know about my... I have older brother. I fought every day of my life with my... So we became close after we grew up. The <laughs> well, reason for all the problems in your marriage is selfish. It's James chapter 4. You want something, you don't get it. That's the problem. All of, it, all of marriage problems. What's the problem? Get to it. What did I want? I didn't get it. What did he want? He didn't get it. What did I want? I th- what did I... Not want? but I got it from him. Pain. You know, he is pain, personification pain, whatever. and then uh, That's why we, we fight. We have nature that expresses his self-desire. But when we are born, we are born with sin nature. But when we are born again, born again, what happens? Another nature is born, oh, totally different nature. This is the alien nature that is given uh, by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Okay so another nature another totally different kinds of desire starts to exist. So you know when you started to change when when did i become christian you know we raise our hand 40 times or something like that but when did you really become christian i don't know but we know for sure when your life started to change why because another nature is born desire starts to be born and you start to live out your faith that's probably when you really became christian when the birth took place so you have adam's nature you're born with, that expresses itself to its desires, but another nature is born when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, DNA of Jesus Christ is now in you. First Adam and second Adam. First Adam and Adam, two natures fighting. Uh, bad nature is what Romans 7 is talking about, if you know or, 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 Paul in theology. And, uh, spiritual nature is what Romans 8 is talking about, victory through Jesus Christ. And now they're in battle, at battle. So you have conflicts in your heart, Maybe you don't. (laughs) But, you know, we always fight in our hearts. True desires. So Christian is not someone who doesn't sin. Christian sins. John chapter 1 says, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. (laughs) According to uh, Jesus. According to the word of Christ. So uh, Christian is not who doesn't sin. Christian is someone who fights sin. Two nature, two desires exist, and you battle. And sometimes you fail, but you're on the ground of justification. But you fight so that you can grow. You're in the process of sanctification, progressive sanctification, or or my word to that is glorification. You're becoming more like Christ. So that's Christian. That's a sign of birth, sign of Christian life. So with that, those kind of two hearts, two kinds of desires that exist, Right? What is emotion? It's emotion is related to those two desires. Emotion basically means, oh, I'm, i got what I want. Emotion is indication of fulfillment of desires. Okay? So if you got what you want, what? Positive emotion. If you're a sports person, you make a basket, positive emotion. Someone else makes a basket, negative emotion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Positive emotion means I got what I wanted Or You're going to a restaurant you like You have positive emotion Because you, you think you're going to get what you want And then what happens This is bad, then negative emotion right? You get what you want, positive emotion You, get, you, you, get what, you don't get what you want, negative emotion uh, You get what you don't want, pain Negative emotion you avoid the pain, positive emotion. So, always emotion is related with pleasure or pain. That's just all it is what emotion is. Positive or negative emotion. But here's a little bit more com- complicated because then the, if there are two natures, there, there are two kinds of, totally two kinds of emotions. Right? Sinful emotion, there's spiritual emotion. And sometimes they're in adverse relationships right sometimes uh you get you don't get what you want., oh, I wanna play video games now some of you you I can tell you're addicted to video games or something I'm not playing able to video game. ah oh, pain or not no pleasure, right, but as you actually listen to the word of God and you know what what happens uh praise worship, what happens there's other kind of emotion that you didn't know existed, you can actually have pleasure without video games right so you realize there are other kinds of joy. You see what I mean? You have two kinds of... So you have to constantly evaluate, uh, is my joy or emotion or all these things uh, sinful emotions or sinful pain or spiritual pain or spiritual pleasure? We need to always evaluate. So with that as as context, right? you know each nature both nature has uh each nature has a capacity for joy so that's why you must constantly evaluate your joy anyway with that as context let's keep going i'm i'm, I'm going to explain a couple more foundational things like that so listen and then it'll help you to, it'll help you to help understand uh the you know, foundational stuff here. So, first of all, Jesus' joy is costly joy. Again, verse six. Jesus, Jewish rites of purification, because the wine represents the blood. Right? For Jesus, there there will be another party at the at the end of his life, night before he will be betrayed. They were eating and drinking with his. He was eating and drinking with the disciples, and he says the wine is the blood of my new covenant pour out for the forgiveness of your sins. So he'll be saying, basically this represents his blood, right? So uh, he'll be saying, when you sip joy, I will sip sorrow. Because he's going to sip sorrow, he's going to die in our behalf, our sins will be cleansed, we'll have joy. So joy we, we receive, we receive freely. But joy he gives costed his life. So for receiver free, for the giver, everything, costed everything. So Jesus' joy, the joy that he gives from his perspective is costly joy. Secondly, Jesus' joy is holy joy. It manifested his glory. And disciples had to put their faith in Jesus for them to receive this. So only in our spiritual nature the right side of our nature, desire, joy, then we can enjoy. Holy means basically separation, right? For God, holy means He's separate from everything else. He's God Himself. He's totally, there's no one that's comp- comparable to Him. He's in the category by Himself. That's what holy means. But for us, holy means two things. We are separated from sin so that we can be separated for God. So that we can li- live for his glory. So uh, his joy is holy joy because of our faith in him. As we more and more we are separated from sin, right, more and more we can be separated for God. Right, so that we can, then more and more that happens, to the degree that happens in our lives, we can have greater joy in our spiritual nature. So let's do a little counseling here. Okay, Pastor a minute, I'm going through something. And I'm a Christian, but why can't I experience joy of Christ? So more you understand, you might be getting this already, right? I think uh, when you have joy or pain in your sin nature, Okay? That is so big. So this is all existing. It's not like oh this happening right now, this happening. Right now. It's not like that. It's all simultaneously happening. So that's why so is confusing. So, but in our sin nature, couple of things. Let's say you ask the girl out, said no. What happens? Pain. <laughs> so you're sitting here as I'm mentioning this. There's pain. So you do, okay, you're praising God Jesus, thank you, I'm saved. You so there's a little joy here. But there's pain, big pain over here, but it's that exists at the same time. So you feel like as you you don't you can't really distinguish that. So as you look at that I go, pain. So think about it. If you're constantly, you're selfish, right? Selfish, Selfish. sinful nature is always there. So you're you're kind of person, you're not getting what you want predominantly in your life or there's some kind of tragic thing happens, main thing happens. This is so big, it doesn't seem like this exists at all. That's why you're going, you know, I'm miserable, I don't have Christian joy. But if you think carefully enough, if you examine carefully enough, there's, there's this joy. In the midst of all that, there's like, Okay, there's somebody said hello, you feel good. Somebody, you ate food, that is good, that is pleasurable. It's there, it's there. But sometimes our predominant feeling is misery or pain. That's a, that could be a reason why you don't feel the joy in Christian life. Another reason, right, for that you may not experience the joy in Christian life is this. That there's so many other joy in your life, sinfully. Again, video, I talked about video game. For some of you, it's, you, you have, we call it idolatry. Keller called it idolatry, but you have this intense selfishness that through that resource, you can get all your pleasure. It can, it can be idolatry. So there's something else you love. So your pain and joy is related to something else than Christ. So let's say you're, you can only receive joy if you're addicted to food, food. Addicted to sex, sex. Addicted to family, it could even be good things, right? Just, all, 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 you know, your family members, whether it's your spouse or your children. Everything, your joy and pain is related to those things. Then, uh, you know, not much joy in Christ. So two kinds of reasons. So in those cases, that's why uh, I believe in fasting, according to the Bible. Fasting, fasting means you detach yourself from these things dissociate yourself from these things that's what fasting is when you fast physically what happens is that you're getting to the most basic desires that you have right so uh when you when you don't eat i know some of you guys struggle may struggle with pornography or sex or something like that then i i you know when they fast right you don't think about sex; <laughs> you think about food. Just like when you can't breathe, you don't think about sex; you, you gotta think about breathing. So, but more basic desires you get, you're really uh, dissociating yourself from other things. So we can't from, fast from air. So that's not good. Don't fast from air, right? Or oxygen. Uh, but fast from so food and water is. Something that is most foundational basic that you're gathering all your desires that when you fast, you're learning how to deny yourself. Think about it. in American life, we, don't, we never desire uh, deny anything. We get everything that we want almost. So we don't have that uh, you know, spiritual battle in our hearts. We don't, we don't say no to enough. Not only sin, but even neutral things. There's so many neutral things that takes our hearts away from our desire for Christ. So you gotta learn to control yourself. Don't ask questions like, is it okay? What you're saying is, I, can I have all the neutral things that are not blatantly sin? But then even those things are taking your heart away from Christ. So we gotta learn how to control our desires. Constant, I'm not saying no to, saying no to everything. Okay? Say no to, you need to be able to say no to a lot of things if those things are taking your heart away from your spiritual nature joy, which is of Christ. Amen? Is that okay? Yeah. Take away, I'm not saying I enjoy basketball, right? So I play basketball, but I redeem it. I enjoy it. Probably a lot of sinful nature joy there. You know? <laughs> but I redeem it because I play with our church. Two things I play with church guys, I play with non Christians. A lot of ministry going on there in the midst of that joy. So, choose some redeemable neutral things in life, or if something's going to get you away from blatant sin, okay, incorporate that. We need to learn to evaluate our whole life so that our joy may our main source of our joy will be Christ. Amen. This this is what we have to do. So that through that joy, we do everything. Through that motive, like we talked about everything, that kind of love, we do everything. That's the motive of everything we do in our lives. That's what we need to do in our Christian life. Uh, That's why we cannot experience Christian joy. So what we need to do is, especially if you're going through pain, right? Here's predominant misery. Predominant misery, but if you think about it, you're in Christ. You have, uh, you have, you know, your eternal joy is coming. So, in the midst of our predominant misery, if you examine carefully, there's there will be joy, small joy. But I would say, keep focusing on these things. I'll call that prevailing joy. Sometimes there's predominant misery, but if you examine your heart carefully, there will be joy. But that joy will be prevailing joy. Amen. So that's what Philippians 4 is talking about. Paul is saying, I learned to be content. What is he saying? He's saying, okay, I don't have money. I don't have, I'm hungry. I'm going through these things. But if I look at it carefully, there's Christ who is my joy. So I'm going to focus on thinking about it. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on him so that even though there's predominant misery, I'm going to overcome through our prevailing joy. You're learning how to be content when you know how to do that. So, another thing you have to really understand is, you have to, dis- so you have to distinguish, you might be getting it already, but you have to distinguish your emotion and desires. So, again, emotion means I'm getting what I want, I might not get what I want, all these things. But desire is, you, you might not feel it, but you go, but I love Jesus. I have still have desire to live for God's glory. Now, your feeling might not be there, but keep doing this because of your desire, emotionless desire. Keep fighting. Then what happens? This will become prevailing joy. So everybody, can, can, you, can you learn how to say prevailing joy? One, two, three. Prevailing joy. One, two, three. Prevailing joy. So our joy is prevailing joy. Okay. Sometimes emotionless joy. For example, like a good example of that. Love your enemies. How many of you feel like, who's your enemy? <laughs> Poking at each other. Uh, so we don't feel like going to our enemies. But what do we do? So emotion is, no, because I'm not going to get what I want, or I'm going to get what I want, don't want. But what happens? You still have desire to please him. Emotionless. So what do you do? Out of love for Jesus, you go, talk, reconcile. Right? emotionless joy, emotionless desire. So we obey out of Christ. Sometimes that people think, oh, that's legalistic because I don't have feelings. No, sometimes that is love. Sometimes without emotion, you can have love and you can be going and do it out of love for Christ. And often Christians' uh, action will be emotionless. But that desire to love Christ it will be there. But that Joy will be prevailing joy in the midst of hardships and difficulties. Amen. What is that prevailing joy? One, two, three. Prevailing joy. So you look at somebody predominant. You're my predominant misery. <laughs> yeah. But you're my circumstance. You look at the circumstances. Your job, okay. Your uh, absence of your spouse. All right. You you're not married. Whatever it is. You're my preva- predominant misery. But. I have prevailing joy. One, two, three. Prevailing joy. That's Jesus. So Jesus is joy, holy joy. As we separate from our sin, separated for Christ, Jesus will be a joy. Costly joy, holy joy. Thirdly, Jesus' joy is abundant joy. Right? Six. uh, what is it six stone water jars each holding 20 to 30 gallons how many kegs is that some of you i know you calculate already there's <laughs> a lot of wine there right uh, it, it could have been done it could have been one you know or two right stone jars but six why six possibly meaning six days of you know, work and then seventh day of rest in Jesus Christ. That's a possibility, but what we know is that He made a lot. <laughs> Jesus could have made just enough, right? He could have been efficient, but Jesus made the bread, and there was twelve baskets left over. Just as He could have made millions of stars, like well, Jesus compares to the Adam Abraham's children, He could have just made millions of stars, but there are billions and billions of stars. He also made more than enough wine. Jesus' joy is abundant joy. 120 gallons are worth. More than enough. Because there's eternity of joy that's, that's coming. It's never going to run out. All right, fourth thing there is Jesus' joy is increasingly better and greater joy. Everyone serves a good wine first. But you have kept the good wine until now. This is the master of the banquet. He knows what wine tastes like. He tasted, he knows, just like you coffee snobs. Right? in this city, I know you're coffee snobs. <laughs> you know those, are, those My church guys, some of the guys are gas station coffee drinkers. I know you're, you feel disgusted, already. <laughs> they, they can't dif- tell the difference between good coffee, you know, hand dripping and gas station. Good. Don't, ever, don't ever call yourself a coffee drinker. Right? But this guy knew wine, and he tasted, he knew immediately. Everyone serves a good wine first, but you have kept a good wine until now. And Christ is like that, it gets better every day. You become better every day. In the old testament, you know, now comes the New Testament, in this chapter, and then this life, more and more you get closer to away from sin, closer to Christ, greater joy, and in heaven, of course, eternal. C. S. Lewis, you know, he talked about talks about this, right? Narnia talks about, what is it, seven or eight books of Narnia. Is it seven or eight? Seven. Seven books of Narnia. And then at the end of the book, he goes, oh, the whole adventure in Narnia has just been a title page. Meaning his his battle with fight and all these things, with Aslan, lion, Christ figure. It it just has been a title page. He's saying this life is only a title page. And then every day another chapter will be written for the rest of eternity. And this is what he said every chapter will be better than the one before. That's what Christian life is, right? This life is 78 years, 90, 100 years. It's just a glimpse. But every chapter will be better than the one before. Amen? Yeah. Uh, your joy will increase as you fall in love with Jesus more and more. A.W. Pink, that's a great quote. I had to write it. The world and Satan also gives the best first. Keeps the worst, worst for the last. First pleasure for sin for a season, then the wage of sin. Isn't that great? But with God, it's very opposite. He brings his people into the wilderness before he brings them into the promised inheritance. First cross, then the crown. Fellow believer, for us the best wine is yet to come. Isn't that awesome? Wow! When Jesus comes, the wedding of the Lamb, we're going to t- taste the best wine. Jesus will return. Complete joy. All right. Fourth is. Well, fourthly, the ministry of our joy. So we got to minister to other people. Bunch of people are mentioned. His mother is Mary. Mother is mentioned. Servants are mentioned. Master of the feast. Uh, master of the feast tasted the wine. Few people are mentioned. Let's talk about this. His mother, servant, master. Let's learn from them. ministry of joy. First of all, we need someone who knows Jesus and leads others to Jesus. Mary knew Jesus for 30 years that to his servant, do whatever he tells you. We need to know Jesus so that we can lead others to Jesus. Uh, Mary leads others to Jesus. Secondly, we need that someone that prays according to the people's problem. Uh, the mother said to uh, mother of Jesus said to him he brings the, she brings the problem of everyone in that uh, place. To Jesus. So we need to know Jesus. We need to pray to Jesus. Thirdly, we need someone who obeys. To Jesus. Now, uh, the servants. I'm talking about the servants. They obeyed. Jesus. Whatever Jesus told them, they obeyed. We can learn three words. Ordinary, wholehearted, complete obedience. What are we talking about? Well, what did the servants do? Jesus told them, well, pour, fill the jar with water, and they did. Incredible thing happened. But what did they really do? They filled the jar with water. It was something they probably did every day. Simple, ordinary obedience. How can we minister to others? Ministry of joy. Just do simple things you're doing, you're called to do at home. You know, serving your spouse, loving your spouse, working at home, working in your work, yeah, in your cubicle, you can actually serve God. You know why you get paid? Because someone's going to use your service. That means you can, with a heart of service to others, you can serve others through everything you do in your life. Attitude, not so that you can get paid, but you're serving somebody. Attitude of service. You can, church, simple things you do in church. In order for this to happen, probably so many people had to serve. It's not just people who are up front, right? So many people in the back for this to happen. Just ordinary obedience. We bring Jesus to others. It's the joy of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do complicated things. Sometimes you will. You don't have to great things. Sometimes you will. But simple, ordinary obedience out of Christ will bring Jesus to other people, like these servants. We don't even know them. We're talking about them 2,000 years later. Ordinary obedience. But wholehearted obedience, they filled it. They filled them up to the brim. I don't know if that's true for coffee, but they filled them up to the brim. Talking about the wholehearted obedience, but also complete obedience. Let me ask you this question. If you examine this text carefully, I know some of you are good observation, make good observation in the Bible. When did the water become wine? Have you thought, of, thought about that? So, dirty water cleansing, right? Into the jar. Water, 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 water. Wine? Or water, 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 water. The servants are taking the water, right? To the master. them. Water, 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 wine? Or water, 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 and then master takes it, wine. Or is it still water, 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 wine? When did the water become wine? My answer to that is, I have no idea. We don't know. All we know is that when the servants completed what Jesus said, water became wine. Sometimes it's here, sometimes it's here, sometimes it's here. When you need money, let's say church has to do work. Sometimes money is given. Sometimes small money. Sometimes it becomes, wow, wine. (laughs) while you have it in your hand. Sometimes when you use it, it becomes wine. We don't know. But finish the, finish what, Christ tells you, complete obedience. Then water will turn to wine. Be patient. Your troubles can turn into joy. Your spoiled breads will turn into a man of God. It takes a lot of faith. I believe God can divide the Red Sea, but I don't want my kid. A spoiled bread will turn into a man of God. It's a long obedience, long discipleship. Come on, keep going. In the midst of your complete obedience, he will do his miraculous, miraculous things. Keep ministering. Keep praying for your brother. When the obedience is completed, water will turn to wine. People will change. Fourth thing we need someone that obeys, someone that obeys, or, or we talked about this. Fourth thing, we need someone who has tasted the goodness of Christ that can give testimonies of his goodness. And we can learn this from the master of the banquet. Feast, taste it. And He says, you have kept the good wine until now. That was his testimony, that experience, and others can hear that. All of us can hear that. And we, we can learn about Joy. People think that Christian life is filled with misery. Deny yourself. <laughs> Carry the cross. <laughs> yeah, my husband is my cross. <laughs> Follow me. You know, it sounds like really misery, but God is pro joy, pro pleasure, but right kind of pleasure, spiritual pleasure. Right? Deny yourself. Deny your selfish pleasure, because that's going to turn into pain. So that verse, I believe, is really a secret to happiness, secret to joy. Deny yourself. Deny your, deny your selfish pleasure, temporary pleasure that's going to turn into misery. That's going to destroy you. Deny yourself so that you can carry the cross. Joy of following him. Path to happiness. And uh, deny yourself, carry the cross. Follow me. Jesus is our joy. Deny yourself, no, carry the cross, yes, follow me, wow, that's Christian life. No, yes, wow, that's Christian life. That will lead to your eternal, enduring, permanent, ever-increasing, gets better every day. Every chapter will be better than the one before joy in Jesus Christ. So you need to evaluate your joy. You need to fight for His joy and receive that joy and give it to others. For His glory, we're gonna see one more video. We're done. I don't know if you saw this video. This guy's name is Monty Williams. He gives powerful eulogy at his wife's funeral. So his wife was like 44 years old. She was driving, and a car came, head, you know, crushing in Oklahoma City. Uh, she was she was killed and he's talking in his wife's funeral now it's seven minutes a little long but I think every minute is worth it to hear it basketball basketball coach.
2: thankful for uh, all the, the the people who showed up today Uh so to, pretty tough time, not just for me, but for all of you as well, and I'm, I'm mindful of that. Um, I'm thankful for my, my family. Uh, my children have been unbelievably um, resilient uh, this past week. Um, all of my relatives who've flown and drove and uh, many friends, uh, some people flew in for the day uh, just to spend a few hours with me and didn't even get that accomplished um, but it's, it all um, is well received by my family, and especially me. The Bible says in Psalms uh, one thirty-three one, "Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity." And I think that's what we've done, uh, and that's what Ingrid would have wanted. Psalm seventy-three one says, "God is good," and First John four sixteen says, "God is love." During times like this, it's easy to forget that because what we've gone through is pretty tough and it's hard and we want an answer and we don't always get that answer when we want it, but we can't lose sight of the fact that God loves us and that's what my wife and that's what I try to, um, however badly, (laughs) exhibit on a daily basis, but God does love us. He loved me so much that he sent his son to die for my sins and I for one know that I'm not the man that you guys see every day and only God could cover that. He loved me so much that he gave me a wife that loved every part of me and she fit me perfectly and I know different players that I've had over the years probably got tired of me talking about my wife but I used to always think to myself, like, who else was I going to talk about? So (laughs) that never bothered me. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. All of this will work out. As hard as this is for me and my family and for you, this will work out. I know this because I've seen this in my life. See, back in 1990, at the University of Notre Dame, I had a doctor look me in the face and say, You're going to die if you keep playing basketball. And I had testing done, test after test, shipping me all over the place to try to figure out a way for me to play. And it didn't work out. And I kept that from. She knew I was having some tests done, but she didn't know the severity of the situation. So my career was over at the age of 18, and we had a press conference, and I left the press conference um, by myself, and I went to her dorm room, and I told her what happened. And the very next word out of her mouth, words out of her mouth after we um, probably cried a little bit, she said, Honey, Jesus can heal your heart. And I'm evidence that God can work it out. I don't care what you're going through. This is hard for my family, but this will work out. And my wife would punch me if I were to sit up here and whine about what's going on. That doesn't take away the pain. But it will work out because God causes all things to work out. You just can't quit. You can't give in. See, the Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And America teaches us to just numb that, and it's not true, but it is true. All you gotta do is look around you. Get outside of these walls and you know it's true. This will work out. Doesn't mean it's not hard. Doesn't mean it's not painful doesn't mean we don't have tough times and we're gonna have tough times. What we need is the Lord. And that's what my wife tried to exhibit every single day. Now, I'm gonna close with this and I think it's the most important thing that we need to understand. Everybody's praying for me and my family, which is right. But let us not forget that there were two people in this situation. And that family needs prayer as well. And we have no ill will towards that family. In my house, we have a sign that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We cannot serve the Lord if we don't have a heart of forgiveness. That family didn't wake up wanting to hurt my wife. Life is hard. It is very hard. And that was tough. But we hold no ill will towards the Donaldson family. And we, as a group, brothers united in unity, should be praying for that family because they grieve as well. So let's not lose sight of what's important. God will work this out. My wife is in heaven. God loves us. God is love. And when we walk away from this place today, let's celebrate because my wife is where we all need to be. And I'm envious of that. But I got five crumb snatchers I got to deal with. (laughs) I I love you guys for taking time out of your day to celebrate my wife. We didn't lose her. When you lose something, you can't find it. I know exactly where my wife is. I'll miss holding her hand. I'll miss talking with my wife. Um, Sam and Coach Donovan probably couldn't figure out why I always wanted to get out of the office, Uh, me and Mo Cheeks. Mo probably wanted to go do something else, but we always wanted to get out of the office. I just enjoy being with my wife. I enjoy being with my family. And most of the times we didn't do anything. We'd just be at the house sitting around um, doing nothing. I'm going to miss that. Let's not lose sight of what's important. God is important. What Christ did on the cross is important. Let's not lose sight of that family that also lost someone that they love. I love you guys. I hope I get a chance to hug and shake a hand and give a kiss on the cheek. But let's keep what's important at the forefront. Thank you.
0: Yeah, there's obviously he's in predominant misery, but he's finding joy and is prevailing even as he talks. So that's what life is like. That we have joy in Jesus Christ, no matter what we go through in our lives. Learn, let's learn to be content. Learn to find joy in Him. Let's pray. Let's pray to the Lord. Probably we're going through different kinds of things in our lives. so, uh, And uh, we need to learn to focus because that's not just forgetting our problem but really seeing the reality of eternity. Right? So, got to learn to focus on Christ and face our problem through uh, the presence of Christ. And also, some of us are just addicted to so many different things. Our joy is somewhere else. So we got to learn to fast from some of those things. Say no, deny yourself. First prerequisite of being a disciple of Christ. No, so that we can say yes to the following of Christ. carry carry on cross daily so that we'll be wow our joy will be Christ we'll be so mesmerized by the worth and the beauty of Christ so that uh, he will be our joy and when we do that we can minister him to others in the midst of all of our spheres and aspect of our lives let's pray to the Lord for a few minutes until the prayer and praise is led